it's a privilege for me to um, be able to process together and to hear from God in, in Matthew, the book of Matthew again, in chapter 25, toward the end of his, of God coming to earth, right? His incarnation, uh, as he became fully man, fully human and, and fully God. And I, I get that's a mystery to us. Um, and if you're someone who is considering Christianity and other major religions, Christianity especially, you know, in all the other major religions, you don't have God becoming intensely personal like you do in Christianity. And that might seem sacrilege uh, to some, but there is this sense where um, the holy and just weds with humanity. Um, I think it's beautiful. And I think that's something to mi- that, that we're constantly mining out what exactly that all means. But it is a God who comes to you. He doesn't just see the world in its predicament and just say, you know, you go on and you try to mend everything on your own. You do it. And that's what a lot of major religions says. It's up to you to pass the peace and, 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 and to bring healing to the nations, which is partly true. But how do we continue to do that day after day when we hear of all the kind of heartache that's going on in the world and that we see, uh, well, in my life, you know, I'm, I notice that a lot because I'm a struggling Enneagram 4. Um, so even if there's beautiful things, I still see the sadness in it somehow. So any fours out there with me? All right. Um, but there's so many beautiful things to be a part of, too. Um, and um, Matthew 25, 31 through 46 has incredibly beautiful descriptions of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. Kingdom come, kingdom coming, kingdom will come in full. And, and Christ comes in, and it's the first fruits of that. He's, he's ushering out the values of the kingdom. And we're going to see some beautiful characteristics of what that can look like together. But first, I want to pray for us before we read. I specifically want to pray um, for Ernest Reeves Jr., um, Mona's dad, who has some health concerns right now. Let me pray for us. Father, we're, we're uh, coming to this passage uh, from different places. I know for me, I've got a million thoughts uh, running through my mind about what these scriptures mean. I've got illustrations um, galore. Um, we only have a few minutes together. Uh, so help us mine out the wisdom, the things you want us to hear, that you would emblazon those upon our hearts, that we would become these people, uh, those on the righteous path, those who are flourishing. Uh, would you do that? I lift up specifically thinking about um, what it means to flourish in life, and sometimes when our minds are haunted or they betray us, which can often happen um, as we grow older sometimes, um, even, even at my age um, and younger, um, our bodies are broken. Um, and so I think about how that's hard. That's a hard transition in earnest who's dealing with his own grief on some of that and in Mona's mom. Would you give them an extra measure of grace uh, to walk uh, with hearts that are calm, um, that they would be open to seeing you work despite the circumstances? Lift him up in Christ's name. Amen. All right, Matthew 25. Listen as I read verse 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? Why did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Whew, that's an interesting way to end a pericope, as they say in my sermon or my seminary days. It's an interesting way to, to leave us off uh, before all hell breaks loose, literally. Uh, Jesus goes to the cross and people betray him, though he was this holy man from Palestine, uh, the God man, um, doing miraculous things, and they still betray him. Uh, before that happens, he gives his final speech, and I know for many of us with sensitive ears, we hear the eternal punishment part and think, that's a bit harsh. Um, wow, they, <laughs> they failed to do a few things, and now they're on this path um, to, to what uh, many have called hell. Um, so what's all that about? We'll get into that a little bit. I can't say everything about it. would love to sit down to a cup of coffee um, Probably not another cup of coffee today since I got nervous energy, but a cup of water and talk about all, all the intricacies there um, and, and, and what Orthodox Christians believe is eternal punishment. I'll talk a little bit about it, but I don't think that's the main thrust of the passage. The main thrust is in, is in the core, in the body of it, right? He's talking about divine hospitality. I think um, there's a lot of debate on this, but I do think he's talking to especially Christian people or the church, but it includes all the who are gathered, and that's what we see in verse 31. All are gathered around this throne, and he's just reminding them what the main point is. He's saying, keep the main point the main point, point." and what is it? Care for the least of these. 
care for the least of these. And, and many of us are overwhelmed, right? Because we can look at our lives, I can look at my own life, and I wonder how I measure up to this list, to these propositions. What I don't think he's saying, ultimately, is that if you do these things, you're saved, you're, you're square, you get, you get fire insurance, or whatever the nomenclature of the time is. Um, you're, you're good, right? I think he, he actually is trying to get them to reveal their own impoverishedness so that they understand who's in their midst instead of walking around with self-indulgent, egotistical eyes. I think that's ultimately where he's heading. But to get there, we're going to see two paths. Uh, one is the flourishing path. Uh, thank you, Troy Kirk. And the other is, because he talked about, this sounds like flourishing. And then um, the second one is the withering path on the other side. And then I want to finally talk about what it takes or how we can know we're on the path that flourishes. All right, so first we look at the flourishing path, verse 34 through 40. 34 through 40, listen as I read. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you welcomed me, naked, you clothed me. You visited me at the prisons, I was sick, and you helped me. You gave thirsty, you did this to the least of these. He emphasizes toward the end of that, those little passages. He's talking about hospitality. What I don't want you to hear, I mean, these, these verses have been paraphrased in amazing spots, like Lady Liberty herself, who has a plaque on, I think it's a plaque, I can't remember the last time I was there, I was, actually I was not, I was two years old, or two, it was two years ago, so um, I have no excuse to not see the plaque, but um, you might recall these words, and so I'll read these out loud. Give me your tired, your poor. Your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Beautiful, right? Beautiful words. Uh, Words like this have been um, used, and I dare say baptized, uh, for incredible purposes. Uh, immigration policies, how to think about people and who are displaced. I, I don't think I totally dig the idea of wretched refuse of teeming shores. I've been to these places, and they're anything but that. Uh, incredibly beautiful places uh, that that some in our culture might think are just, you know, harsh and um, and, 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 and kind of hard places to live, but they're incredibly beautiful with incredibly beautiful people. But the point is clear. There are a lot of people being displaced in the world. And so these are used often for immigration policies, which I don't think is a bad thing, but I actually don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. It's more simple than that. The behavior of giving someone who's thirsty a drink or giving someone food who's hungry or giving someone your shirt if they need clothing That's basic humanity, right? That's basic human behavior, loving your neighbor, right? And where do we see this? Because I think these words can be overwhelming. Does my life match up to this? Well, 
Don't we see it for, for those who are caretaking little kids? <laughs> Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm thirsty. And do you even notice yourself giving that kid a drink or, or food? I mean, at the end of the day, I totally do, and I tell them how much I've done for them in a day. So that's just me. I'm just being honest here. But for you others who are more refined than me, you don't even notice. It's just caretaking responsibility. It's just what you do for people. And I think Jesus is just squaring up on that. He's squaring up to say, just don't think of these as for, for those who are part of uh, you know, non-governmental or organizations in lands that are foreign, or even here, starting up nonprofits. I think we need more of those. I think Christians should spearhead those. But some of us don't have the capacity or skill set to do those things. But you can hand someone water. You can give someone a bite to eat. You need clothing? You need a shirt? Sure, I've got plenty. Here, don't go without. You don't need to. Oh, you're new here? All right, come on in. Uh, we don't do things, we do, we do some things good. We don't do all things good. Well, you can be a part of this fumbling crowd of clowns. Sure, come into my house. It's an open door policy. Refrigerator rights are yours, right? It's hospitality. Of course, it's wild because Jesus is the great, um, great is that has has displayed the highest form of hospitality, giving up his own life. But 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 he's not talking about sacrificial giving, just kindness. Um, and, and and folks who are from this region, first century Palestine, and even in modern day, this is just part and parcel of who they are, right? Like. We have these friends who are always trying to give us food, and, and we're like, have you seen me lately? Let me turn to the side and show you. I don't need more food, you know. But easily, they would, without thinking, give to someone, someone else in need. Uh, and, um, you know, there's so many illustrations going. I'm, I'm sure if you know this person who does this without even, and then they're surprised that when you, when you recognize it, um, I think of my, actually my mom, and I, I don't know where she was. She's a spiritual seeker, uh, but gal, and she's complicated, and, and probably looking back, I could have probably lived somewhere else, and it might have been better for me, um, but she, what she got right was hospitality, uh, let in all kinds of folks, strangers, and by the end, she was like, what, do I have a sign outside my door that says, all losers, welcome, right, like, just come in and take advantage of me? Um, and that's an unfortunate part of it, but I remember uh, at age four, her, there was a family who lived, who moved in across the street, and they're from Laos, and um, their country was kind of being overtaken. Um, they were not communist uh, in the Communist Party, and, and, and so they had to leave. And they were helicoptered uh, to across the street from, from where I lived in Aurora, and uh, I would wake up often, and there would be these this family around the table, and my mom has a bowl of fruit, and she's just, they're walking through conversational English. She's learning a little bit of her, her language. Her mind was all over the place, so I don't know that any of it stuck, but um, nobody in Aurora knew this happened. I mean, I don't know all of her motivations. She just did it. Of course, you know people like that uh, when you think about it. You know people who just do it. Um, but he goes once, he doubles down a little bit, 
It's the second part of these verses. It's not just any person. That should be just normal. It's easy to give stuff to your friends or the people who are like you or people who you like and prefer to be around. He's saying, no, I want you to be a church that does this for the least of these. And so what does he mean by the least of these? We've kind of learned all along in Matthew. uh, There are people who stand out. Last week, Pastor Matt preached on the woman who's chronically suffering, um, bleeding internally for 13 years. He rises a, a, a dead person, a dead girl, uh, from the grave, um, from, from the Gentile community who, you know, it's kind of oil and water, those two communities getting to that Jewish and the Gentile. Um, and Jesus walks into these places and does all these things, and he's demonstrating who the least of these are, right? It's the person who's chronically ill. It's the person in your society you most often might neglect or want to overlook, who's unimpressive, who doesn't bring anything to the table, doesn't in any way, you know, um, um, move your life a notch or influence you in big ways. It might take a little more time to talk to. That's the least of these. And if you're someone who's, that's your story, or you feel that that's your story, get used to God listening to you and being attentive and calling the church to be alert to the same people. And honestly, this convicts and pricks my heart. Um, I, uh, I have a daughter, Amelia, who passed away, uh, many of you know. Uh, she was wheelchair-bound. She suffered many things, um, uh, brain injury, severe brain injury. From She had cancer and then um, blood infection and then meningitis, and that led to brain trauma. And and we had to reorient ourselves to that life, right? And I was a slow learner, honestly. Because in my family, in the Allens, we were always like, just, if you need something, just go and do it. Uh, you need to be strong, just go and lift weights. I mean, it was like, these are, just go, you go and do it. Um, and this took some care to see and notice and observe, and not just to do the stuff with Amelia to help her in her wheelchair and all the cares that went along with it. But my greatest teacher, I always say it's Amelia. She was first my greatest teacher in life, my greatest mentor. Not because it's not like, and it sounds like, ah, you know, someone in the, it's like she actually took, was very patient with me as I fumbled over myself and I made mistakes, and I thought poorly about our life. The other teacher was Jen. I told her I was going to share. She didn't know what. But she was someone who emulated this passage, encapsulated it in her life as she took care of Amelia. And she would climb into the bed, like all the time. And I was always like, oh yeah, you're making me do the rest of the stuff while you take a nap. But no. And it wasn't that. Amelia could not move. She was largely immobile. And if someone was around her, maybe you'd largely just see disabilities instead of abilities. But, but Jen, actually, from the beginning, could see her abilities and knew she had this voice to share to the world. She would, uh, you know, Jen would spend time getting the right equipment for our house, she got Amelia in a mobile wheelchair that she could just move with her, and she was a wild one. 
spinning out cookies in the, in the front yard. She would not have those wheelchairs, that equipment, if Jen didn't advocate. Because a lot of people would have seen her and says, there's a lot of obstacles there. She's probably not a lot going on. Jen knew there was a lot going on. Mining out her voice, helping someone in need, not overlooking the least of these, not overlooking the people who can't give you much, that you might not gain from in this life. Do you see those kinds of folks in your life? When you see those folks, what, what are some of those first thoughts? This is not a judgment call, because you know Jesus is not parsing out the motivations of our hearts right now. He's simply saying, just go and do it. <laughs> and as you go and do it, taking care of the least of these, your heart will change. And so who are those people? And one of the application points is just, would God grow your eyes and ears to see, not to avoid, but to draw near to the least of these? Sometimes our kids in our culture are those people. If you're a kid who, who's felt um, ignored by adult folks, I'm sorry. Uh, you have an incredible voice to share. Um, looking seeing, drawing near, but the second path. And I think when you see that happen, when you see someone's voice heard for the first time like Amelia's, people start changing. It's just this salty effect. Uh, it's light. Uh, people start to flourish because they get outside of themselves and they become better versions of themselves. Um, and I know that happened to me when I started to finally see. Um, but the other part of this, these verses is not just that kind of hosp divine hospitality for the least of these, but there is another side of it, right? That dark side of it in the passage. It's the withering path. None of us want to be on this path. <laughs> if you're not a Christian, you're like, sounds like the same kind of fire brimstone talk. It is not. I hope it's not. Um, I know ultimately you don't want to be on that path. Uh, we'll look at what it looks like, and then we'll see how you can, um, how you can um, be on the path that, that flourishes. Verse 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me. Depart from me, you cursed ones, because you didn't help the least of these, essentially. Jesus turns his attention to those who failed to see. They, they saw the least of these in their life, but they ignored the least of these. They overlooked them. Right? You might call these kind of self-indulgent. Their purpose of life is simply to gain on the backs of other people. That their plight, though harsh, uh, harsh realities of their life is actually, I'm actually gaining from this in some way. Maybe it's power or prestige, or maybe it's economically or some way. That's who he's addressing here. I think specifically in this context, he's really, he's addressing the religious leaders who have made up all of these rules to follow that they're able to follow, but very few else could follow on, on, on that kind of standard. They had ways if they were uh, not meeting the expectation to actually add another law <laughs> to help them so they, they could 
you know, fulfill the law uh, so that they could be powerful and be on the right hand of God, ultimately. And, 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 and it may not even be as noble as that. I think they just kind of like their status in that culture. And so Jesus is actually confronting these. We've seen him do that all along in the book of Matthew, consistently confronting religious leaders who are making up rules to follow that no one else can. They're looking to be little lords of their lives, using people for power and sex and money. It sounds like an episode of The Bachelorette, but more refined. And though they become greater in this life, we're told they will be in perpetual judgment in the next life. Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a hard one to mine out. It sounds harsh. I wish I had time to dive into it. I don't. Um, I know that the talk of punishment in hell is a reason people kind of quit Christianity. And that is to say, how do you reconcile a loving God who's good, with the harsh realities of eternal punishment, um, I'll do my best. The word for eternal punishment is connected to that word Gehenna. It's sometimes translated as hell, a lot of time just eternal punishment. It refers to a real region in first century Palestine and, and before that time. Where, where truly there were horrific things happening. Uh, children were being sacrificed. Virgins were being sacrificed to appease the gods. And, and, and look, Matt has said this before, but, um, you know, don't think of this as these little statue. I think Matt has said this. I don't know. Maybe I just heard it somewhere else. But these little statues, right, like, oh, come on. You know, help our life today. Let me pray to you. It's actually, no, there's a genuine faith commitment. And I don't want us to dismiss that. These cultures have this genuine faith. Where it was leading them was not the flourishing life, uh, but a horrific life, a withering life, right? Destroying everything around them. Think of this region as this incredibly horrible place that you never want to be. That is the idea of eternal punishment. I don't know exactly the substance of what eternal punishment or the fires of hell will be like. It's, it's just a place we don't want to be. Then I think, well, why talk about this? What's the point? Some Christians take these words and it's, they use it as like the gospel bomb, right? Like you're going to, you got to turn or burn. Um, and so that's usually the answer, uh, solution. I just don't feel equipped to say that. Because I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, it's not me who decides anything. I'm not in control of this world. And God is. And I think rather the thrust of these verses is all about like, what, do you want a flourishing life or do you want a life that withers? Do you want the good life, truly good life, that's found in the ultimate source of life, in him who's no, where there is no sin? To become the righteousness of God? Do you want this kind of flourishing, thriving life that blesses those around you? Or do you want the, the one that cuts you off from humanity? And ultimately, as you go on that path and choose to walk that direction, it becomes this withering path in this life. 
And so for those of you thinking about this, I just want to say this if you're struggling. As you hear reports of people being beaten uh, beyond anything that you would think uh, deserved, if you see inequality in your own lives, what do you think, what, what do you want to happen when you see those injustices? Do you want them confronted? You know what we usually do, and Jen and I are on this kick, this genre kick, because there's nothing else to watch on Prime Video in the cold winter nights of Nebraska. We watch these vigilante justice shows, like uh, The Terminal List with Chris Pratt, Parks and Rec. He's not funny in that one. Mm-mm. He's enacting justice. He's going after it. He's crushing people. He's, I mean, he's got this tumor on his head because of some false trial, and there was a cover-up, and I won't get into it. And he goes back, and he takes care of people who did that to he and his squad. Vigilante justice. And, of course, I'm like, oh, that's Chris Pratt. You know, these vigilante, this genre is amazing. Why do I like it so much? Because I'm kind of like that <laughs> when I'm not in my right mind. I saw it last night at Miles' basketball game. This ref, sorry, Miles, this ref was calling all these fouls. You know, if you're a ref, God bless you, honestly. Because <laughs> terrible people like me think that they can do better and see someone across the way, right? Like, the, Miles' back is turned to me, and I'm thinking I can probably read that foul better than that ref. Uh, not true. But inside, I feel this, like, you know, vigil, this, this injustice, like, what injustice has really occurred here? These kids are freed up to play an amazing game. And they're having the life of their, you know, what are we so angry about? I think there is a culture conscience uh, that infects all of us and that we actually infect others with as well, if we're honest. Um, things are not turning out the way we, we think they ought. In truth, uh, there's this theological point in the Bible. It's one of the parts that I, makes me believe so much in Christianity. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. We get it at some level. I'm a very positive person, so I can turn things that are horrible into great opportunities. Trust me. Jen just confronted me on that the other day. Because sometimes you have to sit in the pain but things are not the way they're supposed to be. You're not the way that you're supposed to be. Things don't operate in the ways that you hope they operate, right? And ultimately, so those are small things that are broken. Like th that game didn't really matter. I didn't say anything, I don't think. I said a little, I said a little bit out loud. He didn't hear me. Uh, that's small things. There are big things going on in this world that we would describe as this Gehenna kind of place. Vile things in our recent history with the Holocaust and gas chambers. Horrible things that we humans are doing to one another, right? What's going to be done ultimately about that evil? Don't you need justice? Would the loving thing be let that all kind of scurry off and, and do nothing about it? Like there's no consequence for that? In small ways, you get this if you're a caretaker or if you're a part of a place where you have, like a teacher or something, where you have to have consequences. Why? It's not because you hate the little ones. No, you actually are trying to redirect. 
Because you actually know beyond them what life, how life will turn out if you just let things go amok in that classroom. Now, do you do it too much? Probably, because you want control. <laughs> but most of the time, it's not about gaining control. It's about knowing where people are heading and wanting to redirect them on the path that flourishes. You need someone to confront and, and, and confront evil because without it, the flourishing life can never exist. We don't want someone who grows callous. And so where, I think our final point is just to say, we don't want to be on the withering path, but we want to be on the flourishing path. How do we get there? Because if you're like me, you've looked at these verses and you think, I don't stack up. Have I really done enough service for the least of these? So where's the hope? And I think it's there. In 25, uh, Jesus in his final speech, this is what he says about evil in the world. I show up. I, I'm, not, I'm not a God who ignores it. And he says this in verse 31, look there with me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, the host of angels, and I don't know if it's tr real angels like the angels described throughout the Bible, probably, I think it includes the host of heaven, those who've fallen asleep in the Lord, who will rise up again, this crowd of witnesses we see in um, Hebrews 11 are with him. This, 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 this party is happening when Jesus will show up again. And he takes his seat on the throne. Not as like what we think of kings of today or rulers of today or whoever's in charge of things, right? You don't really know if you can quite trust them. There's always two sides to them. That, that's not this. Revelation has this description of what this throne looks like, and, and from it is flowing these healing waters, and that's symbolic. I don't, maybe really water at some point will heal us. I don't know. Um, I, I actually think that's probably just descriptive of the idea that from the hands of this great king and savior, the just one comes healing, and so that the nations are actually healed so all the things that you see in your own heart and in the world will, will be no more. Pretty amazing when he sits on his glorious throne. And what, he's, what is he doing? He's inviting you to come. If you hear his voice this morning and you don't know where you stack up, do you hear him say, come? If you don't hear him say, come, what, what is it? What, you know, there are probably really good questions you're asking about who this God is. And I probably would just tell you you're, you're probably on that right path. Because the people who are on the withering path are not asking questions. Not until they're confronted. They're ignoring the fundamental human things of life. They're ignoring it, using people for just gain. They're not asking these questions about who this God is. And if you are, you're probably on that flourishing path. I dare say that you are. You can't will yourself onto that path. And what it takes is seeing Christ as offering the better way, the life that flourishes, the kingdom life. And, and how do we get it? Jesus gives it to us. And, and temporarily, we see him do this, right? He becomes the ultimate least of these, 
He was mocked. He was scorned. He was crucified. He was humiliated. And at Easter then, what happens? He's raised from the dead. Justice and mercy occur at the same moment in time as the curse is reversed. And, and, and those who've surrendered to him, they receive his, his righteousness. They receive his blessing. He extends it from his resurrection. And that sounds fantastic and phenomenal and mysterious and hard to swallow. If this is your first time to Christian circles, I get it. But all the other cultures in the world believe in something transcendent. And I think you see it too. You know that all that has been made, there's something more going on behind it. And he's inviting you in to be a part of his work of healing so that that healing is extended to you first. You begin to see him confront evil in your own life, in your own heart. He's all about mending all that is broken. He's inviting us into that global mending process. And out of that new heart comes care for the least of these. Will we still have some callousness? Yes, absolutely. Things need to be chipped away, and he promises to do that. You're not the same, though, if you became a, whenever that happened to you, if you're a Christian. You're not the same that you were at age 18, 17, 16, 5, whatever it was. Um, you're not the same, right? Why? Because Jesus is dynamically working in your life, and he promises that you meet with the Lord himself when you meet the least of these. And I just... And I just want to compel you to embrace that flourishing life. Because if you keep yourself away from your fellow person, if you ignore their plight, if you avoid helping them, you'll feel your heart grow callous. You'll become more cynical. Your mind will be haunted, paranoid. Um, I don't know if you've seen that in life. Instead, I want you to seek goodness. Offer the best hospitality. Go above and beyond just offering a drink. Have you ever received great hospitality? Let me just end with this thought. You want more of it. Um, when Jen and I go into someone's home and they've just, they've received us and you've actually felt like a human, like they're not trying to like show you all their incredible talents and look what I did, you know but they actually are all about you and you're, you're flourishing um, and who you are as a person and mining out your, your strengths. And sometimes that's annoying, I know, because you're like, I don't want to be bugged today because I'm tired. Um, but you know, in the best case scenario, let's say you're, you're ready to receive it, you, you walk away changed. What do you remember about that hospitality? Maybe it's the food, maybe it's the drink, certainly that's a part of it. Isn't it the people though? And how they attuned to you and, and saw you, yeah, it's the people. That is the kind of church, that's what Jesus is saying, let, let that mark the church. Let that mark us here and as we go out into this world, salt and light, and notice the least of these. Um, not doing sacrificial things or starting these big organizations necessarily, though we need to support those. Um, but noticing needs and and using your talents to, to help.
Could we be that kind of church? Let's pray that into action. Christ, thank you for these words. There's more to be said, for sure, praying that anything false would fall to the ground and die, and that you would remain the one on the throne, that we would be so um, excited, and I don't know what the word is, full of wonder at your glorious throne, uh, even to think the kinds of people there are people like, like these ordinary folks like us, and who have fallen asleep in the Lord. Um, ultimately, that can be a scary thing, thinking about death, uh, until you realize, look, there's this place prepared for those who bound themselves to Christ and find themselves with no other hope in life except for Him. Um, it's this huge party uh, that brings the kingdom. And I think that's just a wonderful thought to say or to think about. So I lift this up. I pray we become that kind of church. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.